We're good? We're good. Woo! <laughs> good morning, church. So, we are starting a new series looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to start this morning. We're taking a break next week for Easter Sunday, but this is the progression for the next three weeks, I believe, afterwards. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the first three fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. But it was really on my heart that as we start this series to Rather than just describe the fruit of the Spirit, let's create a framework. Think about what does it mean to see these things um, cultivated in our hearts. I feel like it would be a bit strange to talk about and describe the fruit of the Spirit, but not talk about how we actually cultivate them in our hearts. So that is the journey we're going to go on this morning. And if you're a note taker, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be thinking about what it means to live a life of freedom. So I'm going to read out Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26 that we're looking at this morning. And this is what it says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's a lot there. (laughs) But we are going to unpack what it means to live a life of freedom. You and I have been called to a life of freedom. For a bit of context, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Uh, On his first missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts 13 to 14, Paul traveled to a number of cities in this region. And he was preaching a gospel of grace, saying that we are saved through faith in Christ alone, rather than a gospel of, of law, you could say, where it is about our works, what we can do for right standing before God. And some of the Jewish believers... And that Paul preached to and led to Christ during that time, found this quite difficult to handle, having only ever known what it means to live by the law. And so this group, they have a number of different names, uh, one of them being the circumcision group, but we're going to call them the Judaizers. The Judaizers sprung up, and this were a group that embraced Christianity, but they insisted that some of the old covenant laws, some of the rules and regulations, including circumcision, still had to be observed. And it's fair to say this enraged Paul. He doesn't hold back any punches. If you read through the book of Galatians, he accuses them of being cut off, severed from Christ or falling away from grace. But why was he so upset? 
this group were attempting to place the people back under the very law that had held them captive. The very law from which Christ came to redeem them. And so Paul is emphatic in his response. In Galatians 5 verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We were singing that just now. Christ has made total provision for our freedom. He has paid a debt that we could not pay. And if you read through the book of Galatians, it is awesome. Just looking at the book of Galatians, I pulled out these things that it talks about Jesus. It says, we are justified through faith in Christ. If you don't know what that word means, justified, I like to think it's just as if I had never sinned. We're justified through faith in Christ. We've been crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Christ died to give us his righteousness as a gift of his grace. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, something else we sang this morning. We have received the promised Holy Spirit in our hearts through faith in Jesus. And in Christ, we are all children of God. I love it when people bring stuff that you're going to share from the word. It's brilliant. So to sum it all up, we can't earn our salvation. But having received Christ through faith, we have been set free. And now that we've been set free, we are directed and empowered to live a life pleasing to God by the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference from what these Judaizers were trying to preach? They were trying to get people right with God through their good deeds, through their works, through the law, thinking they could earn salvation, like getting circumcised, for example. And so often we can be like them. We can think it's Jesus plus something. We often subconsciously are trying to earn God's approval for what we do, what we say. Paul is saying if we look for our salvation in those things, it will not work. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. Nothing I do, no amount of good works can make him love me anymore. He has set us free. But having been set free, he has made a way for us to live a life that pleases him. And it is a life that is led by the Holy Spirit and that bears the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the true gospel that Paul was so keen to defend. And the reason why Paul was so direct with his words is because he knew he was fighting for the believer's freedom. They, as we have, been called to a life of freedom. You know, our world has a lot of ideas of what freedom looks like. But the overarching narrative is a freedom that says, do what you want. Freedom is to do whatever you think is right. It is, at its heart, a self-serving freedom. But what does Paul say about our freedom? Verse 13 in our passage, he says, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In other words, do not use your freedom to serve yourself, to pursue the things of this world, but rather, lay down your life in love for others. True freedom is found in surrendering our lives, just as Jesus did on the cross. 1 John says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul goes on to say in the next verse, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is reminiscent of a discussion Jesus had with some of the religious people of the day, the Pharisees. They were trying to, to trip him up in his words. You can read about it in Matthew 22. But essentially, these teachers of the law, they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Love for God and love for other people. You could take the entire Old Testament and Jesus is saying that all of it, all the rules, all the regulations, everything that these Judaizers were trying to find their salvation in, all of it hangs on love. If you take away love for God and love for others, it won't stand. This is reinforced a few verses earlier in our passage in verse 6. It says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. This is so true for us today. So often we can lose sight of the one thing. I love that picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. She saw the one thing. She saw that in him was everything she needed. Faith working through love. I've been really excited seeing and hearing about what God is stirring up in the earth at the moment. Stories from the United States of people spending weeks worshipping him in a room. (laughs) in Asbury. Stories from other parts of the world where people are being raised to life from the dead, where people are being set free, being healed. And recently I had the privilege to be in Barbados of all places, but there was a book. I went in this Christian bookshop and there's this book called The Coming Revival. And I thought, I want that book. (laughs) When you hear all this stuff that the Lord is doing. Now, revival can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. We often sing about it, Um, My favorite definition of revival is one from Tim Keller. He says, revival is when sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get converted, and the unreached get dramatically brought to faith. But I opened this book on revival and thinking, okay, this is going to give me some really cool tools, steps. I opened it, and the first chapter was on love. And it hit me. It challenged my heart. The first two chapters talked about love. It talked about this very passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love others as yourself. And the point the author from this book was making was that if our vision of revival is not to love God with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our strength, if it is not to love others as ourself, then we're missing the mark in our vision of revival. I wonder when you think about what God is stirring in Durham, which is exciting, what is your vision of revival? Is it rooted in love? The extravagant love that we could never buy for ourselves. That love that surpasses knowledge in Christ. So love is the greatest. And praise God that we don't have to find this love in ourselves either. It says in Romans 5 that God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we have been called to a life of freedom, and we are to use this freedom to live in step with the Holy Spirit. But it's not quite the end of the story in our passage. Paul makes it clear that there is a battle of desires that goes on inside of us, that of the spirit and that of the flesh. And it's clear that we have a choice. We have a role in this. Verses 16 to 17 again, they say, so I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. The desires of the flesh are those things that we naturally gravitate towards in a life without God. All of us can testify to living in those ways before we knew Jesus. 
And these desires, these desires from our fallen nature are at war with those of the spirit so that we are not to do what we want to do. They are constantly these two influences bearing weight on our souls. And daily we're faced with a choice. We can use our God-given freedom to indulge the flesh or we can walk by the Holy Spirit. But the truth is that whichever desire we yield to, whatever we let rule in our hearts, those desires will eventually demonstrate themselves through our actions. Jesus himself said, what comes out of a person's mouth comes from the heart. And so if the desires of flesh rule in our lives, some of the works that Paul listed in verses 19 to 21, they will inevitably burst forth. And these things are obvious. That's the thing I I draw out. Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. These things don't require a great deal of searching out. We know that they're of the flesh. But Paul also makes it clear that these things only have one outcome. That if we sow to the flesh, from the flesh we'll reap corruption. And he's equally clear that there's only one solution for such things. We must crucify our flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does this mean? It means we are to deny ourselves. We follow that path of Jesus in saying no to worldly comfort. We say no to the things of our flesh that are not in alignment with God's perfect plan for our lives. And instead, we walk by the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, the fruit of the Spirit will naturally grow out of his operation in our lives. And this requires an active effort on our part. As one commentator puts it, we are told what to avoid and oppose and what to cherish and cultivate. This is the sincere care and endeavor of all real Christians. Sin does not reign in their mortal bodies so that they obey it, but they seek to destroy it. And we do this because he has so much more for us. The reason this is so deep on my heart and to give you guys a bit of an insight into the last year was... um, Just over a year ago, I went to Switzerland for a retreat, which was called Revive Our Hearts. It was all about taking a journey inward, thinking about what in my life have I given over to the Lord and what is some of this stuff that I'm still holding on to myself. I think it's fair to say that revival starts in our hearts and overflows outwards. You can look through the whole of scripture, everything flows from the heart. The heart was actually the one thing that God truly desires within us, I believe. If you look at the story of David, it's an amazing example. The prophet Samuel comes to anoint a new king. And here before him stands this tall, handsome young man. His name's Eliab. And Samuel thinks, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But then God says to Samuel, do not consider his height or appearance, for I've rejected him. For man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. He found in David a man after his heart. It didn't mean he was perfect. That's really important. But he found a man after his heart. So when we had this weekend, we were thinking about what are some of the areas in my heart that I need to give to the Lord? What I often find is that we, if our house is descri- if our heart is described as a house, often we maybe let Jesus into 80% of the rooms. It's like, hey, you can have full access. But we all have those rooms where we're like, you can't go there. This is under lock and key, but Jesus wants all of it. And as a friend of mine recently told me, she said, God can do more through one person whose heart is 100% given to him than 100 people whose hearts are 80% given to him. And that's a profound thought. Jesus wants our whole hearts. 
And so that weekend in Switzerland was a profound weekend personally in seeing freedom. But I also saw what can happen when a group of people choose to say, yes, I want to give you my whole heart. And as I came away from that weekend, the Lord began to speak through a psalm. And it was Psalm 24. And it's an invitation to ascend the mountain of the Lord. It's a passage that says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? That is to see Jesus as he truly is, to encounter the resurrected Christ. It says those with clean hands and a pure heart. And so I started going on a journey. I was like, Lord, what does a pure heart look like? Thankfully, there's an answer at the end of the New Testament, the book of James. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In God's eyes, a pure heart is single-minded devotion. It is a mind that is fixed on Jesus that places him above every other desire. And so the long story short is that weekend changed my life. Instead of going into a graduate engineering job, I decided to start running these retreats um, with Revive Europe around Europe. And we've just done two of them. We had one in Norway, in Bergen, uh, two weeks ago. And then last week we were in the Swiss Alps with students from 12 different countries from Spain and Portugal to Finland and Sweden to Israel, which is technically on the border of Europe. But it was an amazing time. As we gathered, as we, as we fixed our eyes on Jesus, we, we rooted our time in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Some of you may know it talks about, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He had a joy set before him for which he endured the cross. He scorned its shame and he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we gathered, we went on a journey of examining our hearts and said, Lord, what are some of the things that I place above you? What are the idols in my heart that I give first place over you? We went on this journey with students and it is fair to say in short, the Lord met us in freedom and in power. And to share um, just one story of, of how this leads into to being led by the Spirit and waiting on the Lord. On the Sunday morning of our retreats, we, we'd gone on this journey of examining our hearts, of laying things before the Lord. And then when Sunday came around, we said, okay, we want the Lord to fill our hearts. It is His power we need, not our own strength. We want to overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. And that morning, I, I went for a walk and I was like, Lord, how do we do this? <laughs> and He said, simply wait. So when we gathered that morning, we had these 25 students in the room. And we said, okay, guys, we, we worship, spent some time in the Word. We said, we're going to wait on the Lord. For me, it felt like half an hour. It was probably about 10 minutes that we were just sat there in silence, just waiting for the Lord to come. And then we started to pray for people. And people responded differently. Some people started to cry. Some people started to laugh hysterically. It's quite hard to stop yourself from laughing hysterically when other people are. But the Lord was meeting with people. And so the weekend after, the same thing. We, we went to, to wait on the Lord. But this time it was very interesting. The Lord brought a verse from 2 Chronicles 16, 9 to, 16 verse 9 to mind. And I want to share this with you guys. It says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. And that morning, the invitation we felt was that God was inviting people to say yes to him, to be fully committed, to see the weight of that, and that he was going to come and strengthen hearts. We had a plan for that morning. We thought, we're going to have this time. Then in the afternoon, we've got so many nations, we'll pray for all of them. 
But here's the thing with being led by the Spirit, like it talks about our passage. That, that word to lead is actually to fall in line behind the leader. And that morning we saw what that meant. When we waited on the Lord, God began to touch people in the room, nation by nation. So first there are these three from the Netherlands. And it's fair to say the Netherlands sometimes can be unemotional. I don't know if anyone's from the Netherlands. But anyway, oh. <laughs> but anyway, as, as we started to wait on the Lord, uh, they began to be touched by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit. And we knew we had to pray for them. And then we began to pray for the next nation and the next nation. All of our plans for the afternoon fell under the leadership of the Holy Spirit that morning. He was the one leading. He was the one guiding. And I believe God wants that level of obedience, of submission in every area of our hearts and lives. But church, I want to encourage you. Right now, God is raising up a people marked by radical love, radical obedience, radical hunger for the word of God. Radical sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Radical in evangelism. And where it starts, it starts in our hearts. That is the invitation for each of us this morning. So what happens? What happens as we step more and more into this place of God, have my whole heart. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we become people who abound in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control... What we begin to see is we walk in the freedom for which Christ has set us free. So what does it look like to be marked by love, joy, and peace? We talked about love earlier. When we make love our chief aim, the amazing thing is that it multiplies. As we walk in step with the Spirit, as we demonstrate our faith in love, we continue to grow in love. I think Keith gave an illustration for the family service a few weeks ago. I wasn't here, just taking what he said. But uh, he had a piece of paper, and he said, as you cut away the corners, you end up with more corners. If you cut all four corners, you've now got eight corners. God's love multiplies as you give it away. This is what Paul was getting at when he prayed for the believers to know how high and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ. Love is the greatest. What does it look like to live a life marked by radical joy? I want to share a quick story from our retreat in Norway two weeks ago. Um, After we'd had this weekend retreat, we wanted to think about how does this overflow out from us into the city? We had a bunch of students who were on fire for the Lord, and uh, we went out to do some evangelism. And we were worshipping around the fountain in the city center, pouring with rain. So we're kind of like all tucked under the, the little shelter. But as we worshipped, there was this Azerbaijani girl who saw us. She saw this joy that had overtaken the group. And she said, I want that. So she followed us all the way back to uh, our meeting place. She stayed with us for dinner. And then that night she heard the testimonies of what God had done in our hearts over the weekend. I remember during the worship giving her my phone so she could read the lyrics of what we were singing. And during that time, one of the students went to her and said, do you want to know this Jesus we keep talking about? So she said yes. So they prayed for her. And the next thing we know is we start to pray for other people. She's right there praying for them as well. (laughs) And uh, as we wrapped up that time, our worship band, they were like a bit confused as to what was going on. And when we told them, they were like, we thought she was a Christian. (laughs) Radical joy is seen by the world. When we walk in God's joy, it cannot be under a rock. And I can think of no greater example in the Bible than King David, which highlights the power of praise. 
In 2 Samuel 6, there's this moment where King David is taking the Ark of the Lord back into Jerusalem. And he's wearing this linen ephod, and this is what it says. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, as he was doing that, his wife, uh, Michal, the daughter of Saul, she was watching from her window. And when she saw him leaping and dancing, she despised him in her heart. So when he got home, she confronts him. She says, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. But listen to what David says. I love this. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone in his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high esteem. David had a freedom to dance before the Lord. And David's example highlights to us the power of praise. Psalm 48.1 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I love what Derek Prince says about this. He says, our praise should be in proportion to God's greatness, which means it has to be measureless right? (laughs) We can never exhaust the power and the possibility of praise. The more we praise God, the more we acknowledge his greatness. If we want to see the greatness of God, it starts with praising him greatly. And that's one of the key ways that we see this joy abound in our hearts through a costly offering of praise. This is a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. I really believe like David that such a person is unshakable. When our joy goes deeper than our circumstances, when it's rooted in who we're worshipping, not the worshipper. Of such people, it can be said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So radical love, radical joy, and finally, radical peace. As we walk in step with the Spirit, we find ourselves overwhelmed with a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. Such that even though we might have war waging on in our hearts, as we talked about earlier, even though our world may be in turmoil, cities in anguish, we can carry a peace that doesn't quite make sense in the eyes of the world. One story that, uh, that illustrates this. When I was 18, I had the privilege of, of going to Southeast Asia Uh, to Bangladesh. And when I was there, we met a group of around 200 young people from Muslim and Hindu backgrounds. And the cost for their faith was great. Some of them just two weeks before had been kicked out of their homes for following Jesus. So I turned up there as as an 18-year-old, not speaking much Bengali, but just listening to them as they shared their stories. And what hit me was that as they stood up, they didn't carry themselves with this attitude that said, pity me. They had this joy and this peace that I couldn't quite explain. Here was me, afraid of getting laughed at for my faith in secondary school. And here are these guys willing to leave their families behind to follow Jesus. It just didn't add up. But these guys were marked by a radical joy and a radical peace. And for me, that fills me with a lot of faith. Because it tells me as well that the gospel is not just for you and I as we sit here in County Durham with full access to amazing libraries, amazing commentaries on the Bible, but it is available to those who are living in poverty. 
they had a joy and a peace that me at 18, even though the world would say I was in far better circumstances, I saw it and I said, I want that, Lord. I want what they have. Radical love, radical joy, radical peace. This is the invitation set before us. And it starts in our hearts. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He has made a way for us to be free. And now we have a choice to say, am I going to use this freedom to serve myself? Or am I going to yield to the leadership and guiding of the Holy Spirit? Amen? So, I think it'd be great if we just spend some time waiting on the Lord. If you guys would like to stand. Yeah, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts through faith. And he is the same spirit that is present in this room this morning. He is here to touch our hearts, to set us free. So as we pray, you might just want to close your eyes to forget what's happening next to you. Maybe just open your hands as a, a sign of being willing and open to receive from the Lord. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. I ask this morning, would you come and would you reveal how high and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ? Let's just spend a moment to wait on him. Some of you, he's just beginning to mark with his peace. Just this overwhelming assurance, this heat over your body. And we just pray more, Lord. others, I believe there's this invitation, just as Paul said, it's, uh, well, as we read in Hebrews, it's about throwing off everything that hinders. And some of you this morning, just as, as we've been going into the word, the Lord's just been pressing on your heart things that he's calling you to lay down to pursue him wholeheartedly. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So in a moment, it'd be great. Um, we'll have some people from the prayer team out at the front. And um, I want to encourage you, if, if that is on your heart, if there is stuff, there are chains that are weighing you down that you want to lay before the Lord and know that he has the power to break, I want to encourage you to, to come and receive prayer. It's, it's amazing when we get to see these things in our hearts exposed in, in a good way. <laughs> it's not just us fighting. We're fighting as family. And Lord, I want to pray for for all of us here. Lord, would you mark us in such a way that we overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit? Lord, mark us in radical love, radical joy, radical peace. Lord, in such a way that the world cannot but stop and say, who is it you know? What do you have? Holy Spirit, come. 
just love it if we could invite the band back up. Um, just encourage you to stay in this place, to stay engaged. just as we go back into a time of worship to close, it'd be great if we could have uh, some of the members of the prayer team, some of the small group leaders in the church, if you wouldn't mind kind of coming to the front. And let me encourage you, if uh, whatever the Lord has been stirring in your heart this morning around the freedom that he has for each of us, let me encourage you to to do a brave thing, to come and uh, come and receive prayer, come and stand with someone in prayer this morning, because I believe that this is just the beginning. God has so much freedom he wants to bring in and through our lives.